We'll be in Revelation 7 tonight. Excited about this. You probably have questions about this passage of Scripture. We're going to read about the 144,000 witnesses. I want to tell you right up front, those are not Jehovah Witnesses. Those are not Seventh-day Adventists. They're not part of the Armstrongism movement, Sabbath keepers, or whatever else, whatever other group wants to claim, claim possessions. These are not any of those. So just, just settle here. You want to know who the 144,000 is? Throw away those old books. Just You got the book right here. It's in chapter 7, Revelation 7. Amen? Revelation 7. <clears throat> And I want you to keep your finger in chapter 14 as well, because chapter 14 kind of is a continuation of that. Verse 1. I hope this series of prophecies has been helpful. One of, our, one of our men called me right after church today, and he said, Pastor, I, yesterday I sat down, and he said, I read all 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah yesterday. And he said, I was so thankful. He said, you were preaching from Isaiah this morning. And he said, I've been following it, but he says, it just, it's been really working my heart. He says, especially Isaiah 53. I said, bless your heart. Thank you for sharing. That's a blessing. Read aloud in your home, please. And after these things, now remember, the continuation, this is a continuation of chapter 6. Six seals have been opened. And the apostle John, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. For the great day of his wrath is come. So remember now, remember now, John's thinking the seventh seal is going to be open. And he's a, little, he's a little bit apprehensive. I won't say he's nervous, but he's a little bit apprehensive. Man, I've already heard these judgments. What's going to happen on the seventh seal? But you notice what happens here. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now, four angels, north, east, north, south, east, west, God empowered them to hold the winds. And as they're standing there, <clears throat> you can imagine for just a moment, there is no wind movement on earth. I can't imagine that, but that will be so at this moment of time. And in verse 2, an angel ascending, not descending, an angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice, to the four angels, to whom was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and 44,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. I want you to imagine with me before I keep reading, 144,000 missionaries. Now, unless you really just love preaching the gospel, and unless you really enjoy witnessing, that may not get a lot of people fired up, but it gets me fired up. 
because at the height of our Baptist movement, we had less than 100,000 missionaries around the world. And right now, I don't even think we've got 15,000 Baptist missionaries around the world, independent Baptists. And I want you to imagine with me 144,000 missionaries on fire for God, amen? I'm talking about missionaries that have a Rick Martin report. I'm talking missionaries that have a David Board report, a Terry Unruh report. I mean, they get me fired up. I'm not saying the other ones don't, but they get me fired up, amen? We got a missionary down in Mexico I want to tell you about. We may take on for support. He'll probably never come here to preach. This man's getting it done. He's, get, he's seen Jews saved. He's seen people. He's had, he has crusades in the thousands getting saved. I want you to imagine that's what's going to happen during this time. But God's even more specific. This is, how, this is, what, this is what's so great. He says, of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtali, or is spelled here Nephilim, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Remember now, Manasseh was one of the sons of Joseph. You, you need to follow this now tonight. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulon were sealed 12,000. I'm about to have a fit right now. This is great. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. This angel says, there are these identified servants of God they need to be sealed in the forehead before damage is going to come on planet Earth. 144,000 are sealed. It's a mark that only God knows. And then we read verse 9. After this, I love that. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, and would you notice this? Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. What a missions conference, amen. Stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Some will tell you this will be the greatest revival that ever occurred on planet Earth. But in the strictest definition of a revival, a revival is giving life to something that died. This is a second working of God like the book of Acts. It's more than just a revival. It's fulfilling in Matthew 24 where the everlasting gospel covers the entire earth. This was important, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, before severe judgment would come. And while we're going to look at these 144,000, I call your attention back to verse 2. 
They received the seal of the living God. And I want to preach your message for a few minutes tonight entitled, The God of the Everlasting Gospel. The God of the Everlasting Gospel. And I'm telling you tonight, and God, only God could have orchestrated this. I, had, I did not schedule and plan that Isaiah 21 on standing in the watchtower and, and Revelation 7 would come together like this. But it did. And tonight, I, I want us just to, you know, you're at home. You can take off your shoes right now. Amen? And uh, you're going to sit down, but you better sit on the edge of your seat tonight because this is good stuff here we're going to look at. It's, and it's not that anything else we haven't preached is not good, but this is, this is really just going to get you excited about what God, God working through the tribulation time. Father, bless your word. Sanctify us to your truth. Lord, help us to see that the harvest truly is plenteous and the labors are few. We, have, we don't have a lot of time right now. I pray you help me get right in the message this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week in Revelation 6, six of the sealed judgments were open. Four of them described riders on horses. There is the rider on the white horse who, is a, who represents the Antichrist, the false Christ. The prince who's to come, as Daniel said. The rider on the, on the next horse represented killings and murders. He was on a red horse. And then, uh, excuse me, he was on a red horse. And then the third horse was one that was, was a, a, well, the black horse. And he represented, he represented if you would, uh, uh, you know, there's just death and murders and so forth there. And then there was the, the one on the, the pale horse, the last one. The Bible says death and hell followed him. And as we looked at all those things, we looked at things like economic collapse, which was the third horse. We looked at uh, financial collapse. We've looked at wars and killings and assassinations. And we talked about the fact that the word death is the word th thanatos, which, talked, which means a pestilence. And we looked at all those things. The fifth seal was open, and God paused for a moment because he wanted to see that during the tribulation time it would also be a time where there would be many, many who would suffer for the faith. I believe those who suffer for the faith are this group of people here that we are reading about here in chapter 7. And their, their, their blood would be under the altar of God, and they would be beheaded for the faith. And then we got to the sixth seal there, and we saw the uh, cataclysmic meltdowns, as I spoke about, or when the, the moon would be, uh, the sun would become as, like uh, darkened as sackcloth of hair, and the moon become as blood, and, and stars would fall out of heaven, and, you know, asteroids and things like that. I mean, just all these calamities. And you reach after six, and honestly, the... You cannot read chapter 6 without feeling like, man, this is pretty scary. I mean, that's really frightening. That God has told us and anyone who reads his word what's going to happen during that time. The church is not there. You need to make a note of that. The church is not there. The church is not in tri the tribulation. And I'm going to show you some verses as we get, get further into this, some things that will parallel that to earlier verses. You'll say, wow. That's, a, that's, that's another demonstration. The church is not going to be present there. But we get to chapter 7, verse 1, and there is a pause between the 6th and the 7th seal. God purposely wanted John to see in us judgments to come. The great day of his wrath has come. But God still has a work to be done in the hearts of people. And to understand what we're going to be studying tonight, 
I want you to turn in your Bibles this evening to Daniel chapter 12, because I'm going to read verses 1 to 3 to you. And I want to give you what the Bible says here, because a lot of times if you study this passage, no one really alludes to Daniel chapter 12, but I think you have to, you have to read Daniel chapter 12 to understand this. And the question is asked, will people get saved during the Great Tribulation? And the answer unequivocally is yes. Yes. Verse 9, those are people that get saved. And in Daniel chapter 12, if you're there, would you notice this? Verse 1 says, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And notice Daniel tells us about the tribulation. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. Now that's the definition of the tribulation. And at that time, thy people, now who's that? That's the Jews. And this will help you understand Romans 9, 10, and 11. The God, the nation of Israel, there will be salvation of Jews. This helps you understand Romans 9, 10, and 11. He says, at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. And then in verse 2, he talks about the two resurrections. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awaken, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. But notice verse 3. And if you have your Bible signed by preachers, there are some prominent preachers that love using Daniel 12, 3 as their verse that they sign next to their name. And it's a great verse. It's one of my favorite verses. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars for and ever. That's Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. We have to read 7 and 14 together. Many will be turned to righteousness. Many will be turned to righteousness. And the ones who do that, the Bible says, they that are wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they'll be like the stars forever and forever. Tonight we are looking at this 144,000, the preaching of the everlasting gospel, and the God of the everlasting gospel. Number one, tonight I want you to see with me, going back to chapter 7 of Revelation, I want you to go back with me and see these tribulation missionaries. As we begin chapter 7, or even chapter 6, you want to take firm notice that there's two things happening during the tribulation period. There's a lot of focus on demonic activity. Now I want you to know tonight, there's demonic activity happening right now. There's a lot of demonic activity happening right now. You want to ask God to give you a discerning mind. And I remind you tonight, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are dealing in a world right now where there's great spiritual wickedness, okay? Now, I want you to understand this evening. There will be a lot of demonic activity, but there's also a lot of angelic activity. 
And God's angels are very busy during this tribulation period. They're very busy serving the Lord and doing things here on planet Earth. They are God's agents invisibly doing the work of God here on Earth. By the way, thank God tonight that they are His ministering spirits who minister to you and I. And God sends these four angels who have been designated by God to allow the unleashing of God's wrath on the elements here. What in the world, what in the world could hurt the earth and the trees and the very seas, the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Mediterranean Ocean, all of the seas, these places. And I believe he's giving us a foretaste that there may even be nuclear war at that time and cataclysmic pollutioning and wildfires. We've seen that, haven't we? Wildfire, wildfires that have hurt the earth, earthquakes, I mean, you name it. The earth is going to be a mess. And God calls another angel up who's already been down here. And this angel cried out to the other four, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. Now, God has designated these 144,000 as preachers, as missionaries, as the greatest number of soul winners the world has ever seen. When I was younger, in my college years, I studied much about the revival movements. It thrilled my heart to read about the Moody's, and the Spurgeons and the Finneys and all those groups of men. And um, man, it was very, very, if you, you young men especially ought to read that. It, it just matured your heart. Hudson Taylor, what he did in China, and following him not long after that, Jonathan Goforth, north of him, and revivals in different parts of the world. I read about the revivals in Indonesia, and you know, the, the charismatics got involved with it a little bit, God, but God was still saving souls. But there is nothing that will compare to what will happen during this age, during that brief seven-year period of time. And by the way, you've got to remember this as you study the tribulation. The tribulation is broken to, into two, three-and-a-half periods, uh, three-and-a-half-year periods of time. In fact, Daniel makes mention of that at the close of Daniel chapter 12 there. And our focus tonight, number one, is on these tribulation missionaries. Who are they? What is so unique about them? And then tonight, we're going to look at the tribulation missionaries, but we're going to see the triumphant Most High. And we're going to see that though they are heroic, the hero is God. The hero is God. And so notice tonight some things about these tribulation missionaries that should touch our lives. Number one, they are selected. They are selected. The Bible says, out of the tribe were sealed. These are Jewish missionaries. Mark it down. 
This is not figurative. This is literal. They are Jewish missionaries. Now that thrills my heart. Because I think of a Jewish businessman who has helped fund evangelization to Jewish people through a couple of our Bible colleges. He has a great burden. He got, his, he got, he was a, he was, he got saved out of Judaism and is a fervent Christian for the Lord. But I want you to imagine with me 144,000 Jews who are sealed in their foreheads by God to preach the everlasting gospel. They are ethnically Jewish. We are given 12 tribes here. Conspicuously, the tribes of Dan and Ephraim are not listed here. And many believe, and I hold the same position in studying through scriptures, that the likelihood why they perhaps were not listed here as part of this evangelistic group may be because that we read about them going into apostasy in the Old Testament. Read about Dan going to apostasy in Judges 18, and if you know your Bible, you know that Dan was the location of one of the golden calf worships in Judges in 1 Kings 11, 26. And Ephraim is mentioned many times. Of course, it could be also in reference to Israel. But Ephraim is mentioned as been given over to idols. I was just reading that in my devotion this morning in Hosea chapter 4. But we have to bear in mind they are selected of God. They are selected of God. Secondly, they're saved. Now, you can't preach the gospel unless you're saved, amen? And you go to Revelation 14. Go there with me, please, for a moment. Revelation 14 makes it very clear that they were saved. The Bible says in Revelation 14, 3, And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. They're saved. There, it's mentioned they were redeemed. It says in verse 4, these were redeemed from among men. They are saved. Thank God for that. All right, I'm glad tonight they're going to get saved during the tribulation. Now, I want to put a, I want to put a, a notation there. These 144,000 got saved were people somehow before the tribulation were blinded to the gospel. The God of this world blinded them from the gospel. They did not hear a thorough presentation of the gospel. Now, if you're someone who has heard a full presentation of the gospel. Don't fall for the lie of the devil while I wait till the tribulation gets saved. You won't get saved. You won't get saved. You know why? Because 2 Thessalonians 2 says that the Holy Spirit will be lifted out of this world when the Christians are gone. And God's going to allow a spirit of delusion and deception to come, and you're going to believe a lie. Because you had an opportunity to get saved and you didn't get saved. And I want to press upon you tonight. If there's ever a time to get saved, you need to get saved right now. If you've been walking the fine line and you've been fooling people that you're saved, but you've never gotten born again. Listen, the Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter to the kingdom of heaven. You need to get saved right now. They're selected. They're saved. By the way, they're sealed. The seal represents God's protection from judgment. Because there's a different marker that will be going on too. There's two markers. There's the seal of God, and there's the marker of the Antichrist. And the mark of the Antichrist is one you cannot buy and sell without it. And if you don't have the mark of the Antichrist, he finds out they're going to put you to death. But I'm going to tell you, as we read about these judgments here, when that seventh seal is open, we're going to read later on about seven trumpet judgments. And we're going to read later on about those who have the mark of the beast. God will torment those people during that whole tribulation period. They're going to wish they could die, but they can't die.
And this seal is very unique. It represents protection. It represents possession. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, praise God, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. That's their seal. Now, in the Old Testament, we knew something about the seal of God. God sealed Noah and his family from judgment. God sealed Lot from judgment. God sealed Rahab from judgment on the city of Jericho. And we can read on and on. They are identified as God's possession. They are identified for God's protection. But we know something about a seal. A seal tells us that it's an official indication that you, are, you belong to someone else. It's an official indication you belong to someone else. It is, it is something that shows that our mark of allegiance, who possesses us. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, the Bible says, Who also has also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Ephesians 1.13, In whom you also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now that's important. The moment you are saved, you are sealed. You belong to God. 2 Timothy 2.19, Now the foundation of the Lord standeth sure. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not this Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Hey, you can't lose that seal. You are sealed till God takes you home. Amen. You belong to God. They're saved. They're selected. They're sealed. Go back to chapter 7. They're servants. He calls them the servants of our God. Now somehow, after the New Testament was written, and we now go from the 20th to 21st century, somehow the word servant has been watered down and degraded. But brother and sister in Christ, the word servant's a good word. I'm thankful to be a servant of God. Praise God. Servant's a wonderful word. And the word that's being used here is the word doulos, which represents a bond slave. They are sold out to Jesus Christ. During the great tribulation, you're either going to be a servant of Jesus Christ and suffer for him, or you're going to be a servant of the Antichrist, one or the other. And thank God, just let me say it again. If you're saved right now, you're saved now, you're not going through that tribulation. God has God not appointed us to wrath. We're not going through the tribulation. But I see something else about this group. They are saved. They are sealed. They are serving. Notice, they are sanctified. Go back to chapter 14. This is so good. In chapter 14, verses 4 and 5, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, I believe this literally means they are, they are men who have chosen to be celibate for the sake of the gospel. Now, what does that mean? It's going to be very risky to get married and have children during that time. I believe these men, these Jewish men, have elected voluntarily to, to remain. They, they, thank God they're virgins. 
That means they've never had premarital relations. Praise God for that. They are sanctified. By the way, that's just an encouragement for us. God can't bless our soul winning efforts if we're not sanctified. And it says they're sanctified. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. They're sanctified. They're, certif- they're set apart for God. The mark of a missionary is where he leads me, I will follow. That's what they're doing. They're following the Lord. They've counted the cost. They just decided, you know what? They've read their Bibles. They prayed a little bit. They thought, what's going on here? We've got to know what's going on. You say, well, by the way, Pastor, how are they going to get saved? Well, listen, God, Jesus gives us a secret to that. In Matthew 24, he says with all these things, he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. You know what? There's going to be a lot of copies of the King James Version Bible that's going to be left around here. Amen? There's going to be a lot of versions. There's going to be a lot of copies of the King James Version Bible that's going to be left around. Somebody's going to stumble along the way. Some Jews are going to stumble along the way and find their way at 2960 Merced Street. They're going to find a whole bunch of Bibles here. Amen? And they're King James Version Bibles. And they're going to pick up those Bibles and they're going to read the Scriptures and they're going to realize that we've been raptured out. And they're going to be enlightened. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to their hearts and tell them we've been raptured out. And they're going to get saved from reading the Word of God. You say, how are they going to get saved? The Word of God will take care of all of that. Verse 5 says something else. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Boy, that speaks to my heart. That speaks to my heart. What a beautiful picture of the servants of God. But they're just not servants of God. I mean, they've identified with Jesus Christ. When we come back to church and reassemble physically, Help me and help yourself. Don't just identify with serving. Identify as being a servant of God. They're saved. They're selected. They're sealed. They're servants. Notice in verse 1, they're standing. Thank God Jesus lets us stand with him. Amen? They took a stand with Christ. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. You know what they're saying in the midst of an anti-Christ world? A Christ-rejecting world, we're taking a stand with Jesus Christ here. They're standing. Hey, by the way, verses 2 and 3, they're singing. The Bible says, I heard a voice from heaven, the voice of many waters, and the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voices of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000. Now, I don't know what that song was, but I'm sure Dr. John R. Rice will probably write a song there, Set My Soul on Fire, just to the tune of the 144,000. Amen. They're singing. They're rejoicing. They get to serve the Lord. They're singing about souls being saved. Listen, but I'll tell you something better. Go back to chapter 7. Look at this group. They're singing. They're standing. They're servants. They're selected. They're sealed. They're saved. But thank God, they're soul winners. And in verse 9 of chapter 7, we read about the fruit of their efforts. The Bible says, A great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? People of all ethnicities and languages are going to get saved because of these 144,000 compelling spirit-filled witnesses. Matthew 24, 14 says, and the gospel, This gospel of this kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. We see these tribulation missionaries. But secondly tonight, Go back to chapter 7 with me. 
I see something that's so much more encouraging than just these trusted missionaries. I see the triumphant Most High. They are servants of the living God. They have the seal of the living God. There will be the Antichrist, but Jesus is still on his throne. There will be the God of this world, but the God of the universe and the God of all ages is on his throne. The God who is most high, whose Hebrew name is El Elyon, he still reigns. He's still only God. He's still everlasting. He's still almighty. He's still all unchanging. He's still all-powerful. He's still in control. He is the God who is so great. I see the God of the everlasting gospel is the one who's at work during the tribulation period. I love that song, and if I had time, I'd sing it tonight. But it says, my God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his. The rivers are his. The stars are his handiwork too. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Now, if you take some time to read chapter 7, chapter 14, we marvel and we rejoice and we praise God for these tribulation missionaries and the preaching of the gospel and for souls that are being saved. But I see something even greater. I see the God of the everlasting gospel. I see God intricately and wonderfully work. And I want to bring it down to tonight as we think about the triumphant most high. I want you to think about a God who never fails, a God who's almighty, a God who's all powerful. Number one, I want you to notice we have a God where there's no promise that he cannot support. We look at this passage here these are 144,000 Jews. And I cannot help but think of going all the way back to Genesis. And there in Genesis, God called a man who was an idol worshiper at 75 years of age out of Ur of the Chaldees, modern-day Syria, and brought him into what we know now today as Canaan land. And he said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you with a seed, with a son, with a seed, with a soil, and a society. And he told him that in chapter 12 of Genesis. He told him that in chapter 13 of Genesis. He told him that in chapter 15. In chapter 15, he cuts the covenant with him. He gives him, a, he gives him if you would, a prophetical uh, understanding of how this group, this people will grow. And it will begin with the miracle son. And he says it'll be a large population. He describes it as large as the sand of the sea. And he talks about them going to captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And he's talking about all the land area that they're going to have that God will give them, which they don't have all of it now, but they'll get it. During, but they're going to get it. They're going to get it. They're going to get that land back. And, uh, and he tells them that. And in chapter, chapter, chapter 15, of course, he sees that. And then, of course, Abraham and Sarah mess up in chapter 16. In chapter 17, God tells them that again. And then something remarkable happens. You get to Genesis chapter 18. <coughs> In Genesis chapter 18, the Lord comes down with two angels and makes a visit to Abraham's tent. And he comes there, and Abraham sees them approaching in the middle of the day, and he runs out to them, and he serves them, and he, comes, and he takes care of them. And there in chapter 18, if you've got your Bibles there, we read in chapter 18, verse 11, after they've been served and after he's fed them, the Bible says now in verse 11 of chapter 18, Genesis, now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. You know what that's saying there? Their bodies were beyond dead, as Paul described in Romans chapter 4. They couldn't have children. He's 99, she's 90. 24 years have gone by since the original time of the promise. 
24 years have gone by since the original time of the promise. And the Bible wanted us to know they were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah, the man and woman. She could not, she could not bear forth children. Humanly was impossible. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? She was doubting God. She actually was mocking God underneath her breath. And listen to verse 14. Would you focus on that? I hope you underline this. Is, there, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, that's what I want you to see. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, God made a promise and reaffirmed it. That's the last time God reaffirmed the promise. Now, Abraham was like you and me. Sometimes we need God to reaffirm the promise. Do you ever notice how many times in the Bible God tells us to trust in him? Because sometimes we just don't trust in him. And he has to remind us to trust in him at all times. He has to remind us what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee and all of these things. And God has to reaffirm these things in our heart because our faith is so little and our faith is so small. But here in, in, in Genesis 18, 14, he says, according to the time of life, Sarah shall have a child, shall have a son. Now he's 99, she's 90. God gave the promise. Now notice with me chapter 21, verse 2, nine months after this has happened. Genesis 21, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time in which God has spoken. Hey, brother and sister in Christ, now we fast forward from there over to Revelation chapter 7. And guess what? We see 144,000 which are descendants of, that Abraham, of the Abrahamic seed and are heirs of the Abrahamic covenant. And I'm telling you right now, they're in the land and they're preaching the gospel. Listen, there is not a promise that God cannot support. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? My friend, tonight there are 30,000 plus promises of God in the word of God. There is not a promise that God cannot support. A promise is a statement of fact, backed by the love an integrity of a God who cannot lie. A promise is a statement of fact backed by the love and integrity of God, that, a God that cannot lie. He promised to send Jesus into the world to die for our sins. And guess what? He did it. He promised to send Jesus by, into the world by way of a virgin. And he did it. He promised that if we trust in him with all of our heart that, and lean to our understanding, he will bring it to pass. And he does. He promises that he that has the Son is life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. There's not a promise he cannot support, but I want you to know, secondly, there's not a problem he cannot solve. Now, you go to Revelation 7, there's some problems here, amen? The world is headed towards Armageddon. A madman is loose. His name is the Antichrist. Satan is wrecking havoc. Churches are gone. There's bloodshed everywhere. Pestilences. 
You think COVID-19 is bad? Just after I preached Sunday night last week and talked a little bit about those pestilences, did you know what hit the news right after that? I mean, I got home, and at 10 o'clock, I opened, a, a, opened an article, and it listed out eight different viruses that we should be concerned about just as much as with COVID-19. Zika virus. And on and on and on. Ebola. There's new flare-ups of Ebola. There's flare-ups of Zika virus. I've got a good preacher friend that was hospitalized last year for getting bitten by a mosquito because he got Zika virus. He told me about it. I mean, the world is going to be a mess. Cash, worthless. Bank accounts, forget it. The banks will be taken over. Securities and real estate, completely devalued. You say, well, preacher, I got Bitcoin. Forget it. Bitcoin will get bit. Amen. Yes, sir. Gold, which is the god of the people of this world, gold will fail. There'll be problems. Joseph had a problem. He was sold into slavery, into Egypt. Now, you put yourself in his shoes. He was in a pretty bad mess. He was misrepresented. People forgot him. I mean, it was bad. His brothers sold him out. But you know what? We get to the end of the situation, and this is what he said. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Hey, there's no problem he can't solve. Moses got to the Red Sea. The banks are overflowing. Behind his back is the Egyptian army in this wide spans of water. And three million complaining, grumpy, unsatisfied, disgruntled. Sounds like a Baptist congregation, amen. Jews. They want to crucify him. And he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God opened the Red Sea. And God let him draw, go walk through that on dry shot. Hey, there's no problem God can't solve. Daniel was the first of three great presidents in the Persian kingdom. Read about it, Daniel 6. Darius loved him. Because Darius knew that he was on the throne because that man of God prayed for him. They revered his prayer life. But the other men did not like Daniel. He, had been, he may have been the only non-Persian that, in, that, in that capacity and being number one because he was the most trusted. He was not corrupt. He could not be corrupted. And I want you to listen to me tonight. They passed the law, the law of the Medes and the Persians. They passed a law outlining prayer. Well, it seems to me we got a law right now saying I can't come back to church. And Daniel did not cave in. Now, he could have, at 80 years of age, he could have, he could have caved in. He could have thought, you know, I got a government pension. Um, Cal Pers is going to take good care of me. 
you know, I got my VA benefits. I, I, maybe I better cave in. And the Bible says when that law was stamped with the ring of Darius, he went back to his room, the Bible says this, as former times. He opened his windows towards Jerusalem. I mean, he was dead center looking Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day as he did a four time, the Bible says. And those devious colleagues of his were watching behind somewhere, walked and sit, told you he'd break the law. King didn't realize he got set up. Daniel was in a pickle because he was going to be thrown into a den of hungry lions. The king tried to do everything he could to change the law, but he couldn't in one day. You know what's remarkable about that whole thing? Daniel did not use his connection to the king to appeal his way out. You study him and Ezra and Nehemiah, they never, the men like that, they never used their connection to get their way out. Daniel was prepared for this. He prayed himself ready for that moment. He knew it was coming. He prayed himself ready. The king could not sleep all night because he just imagined the worst thing that happened. And I'm sure as he got up early that morning, the next morning he went over there and he kind of noticed that the lions were a little bit more quiet than usual. And the first thought in his mind was, I hope they didn't kill and eat them. And he said, Daniel, the servant of the living God, are you still alive? He said, don't cry out, king. It's okay. I'm all right. Hey, there's no problem he can't solve. There's no problem he can't solve. Hey, listen, tonight, I can go on and on. You know the story there. But I'm telling you tonight, these missionaries are going to face a very difficult time. They're going to face hostility. They're going to be ostracized by their family. Those who have not converted from the Jewish faith will excommunicate them. Their, 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 their families will not want them. They're going to deny themselves from getting married. They're going to keep themselves celibate. They're going to keep themselves sanctified before God. They're going to be hated. The Antichrist will behead them. Listen, but I'm going to tell you tonight, there is no problem our God cannot solve. Listen, there's no promise he cannot support. There's no problem he can solve. Listen tonight, there's no power he can subdue. I think of Jesus in Matthew 4 to 5. His power subdued a storm, a disturbance. His power subdued a devil possessed man. His power subdued a woman that had a disease that the doctors couldn't, didn't, didn't have a cure for. His power subdued death itself. Last, the last enemy he, he, he subdues is death. And I'm telling you tonight, during the Great Tribulation, there will be disease and disaster and death and demonic activity. But listen, there's no power our God cannot subdue. You say Satan is great. He is great. But God is greater, thank God, tonight. The God of the everlasting gospel. I'm telling you right now, these servants of God, I'm not sure if all God's going to do. I believe it's going to be an Acts chapter 2 moment. These servants of God, these 144,000 mission, if you can grasp this, all the nations and languages of the world. And listen, can you imagine them going into the mountains of Nepal? 
Can you imagine going to Mongolia? Can you imagine going through communist China? Can you imagine going through, can you imagine going to those, the stand nations, which are predominantly Muslim in nature? Can you imagine going through the, can you imagine going through Indonesia and areas like that that are Muslim dominated? Can you imagine going through Japan? Can you imagine going through Vietnam? Can you imagine going through Sri Lanka? Can you imagine going through, through uh, the old Burma? Can you imagine going through India? Can you imagine going through the islands of areas? Can you imagine being throughout the Middle East? Can you imagine that in America and North America, South America, it doesn't matter in the world. Listen, the Bible says in verse 9, there'll be a large number that no man can number of nations and kindreds and people and tongues that'll stand before the throne. How will that happen? Because these men will conquer all the odds and go past them because they believe in a God who can support his promises, a God who can subdue every power. They can believe that. But listen tonight, not only is there our God, there's no promise he cannot support. And no, not only do we have a God, there's no problem he can solve. And not only do we have a God, there's no problem, there's no power he can subdue. Aren't you thankful tonight as we read Revelation 7? There's no person he cannot save. Of all nations and kindreds and peoples, listen, that encourages me tonight. You may have the hardest family member ever, but there's no person God cannot save. You're on that watchtower. Start blowing the trumpet, amen? Start realizing the enemy is making his encroachment. He's getting closer and closer. The day of his great wrath is coming. We have the God of the everlasting gospel. We have a God who loves souls. We have a God who's not willing that any should perish, but that all men should come to repentance. We read in 2 Timothy 2.4, he will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We have a God who so loves the world. And unlike what the hyper-Calvinists say, that world is not a redefined word. The word means world. And he said in Revelation 7.10, he cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne. Unto the Lamb. You know what that's saying? He's the God of the everlasting gospel. I've been sitting here and praying for several weeks. And I have these discussions with our men on the staff. And we're very well aware. Evangelism is so winning as we have done it. It's going to require more wisdom more creativity, because now we're trying to win souls to Christ in a social distance world. Are we going to do away with soul winning? No. Are we going to have to kind of rethink soul winning? Yes. But we're already in the throes. As soon as things loosen up, we're starting new ministries. They may start out small, they may, they may explode, I don't know. Whatever God feels he could trust us with, thank God for that, amen. But I'm going to tell you right now, we have to stop depending on ourselves and realize as the God of the everlasting gospel who takes care of business. He's the one to take care of it. We, we just, we're just like Abraham's servant, I being the way the Lord led me. That's what it is. We're going to have to manage contacts better. We're going to have to be better stewards of the gospel. 
And we have to realize the greatest resource we have is this book. Because we have a God who's given us promises he does support. And we have a God whose problems, that we have a God where there are problems that he can solve. And we have a God that there's no power he cannot subdue. And we have a God, there's no person he cannot save. And listen to me tonight, I'm almost going to call out names tonight because I love your soul and I love your family. But whether it's your father or your mother or your uncle or your aunt, your son or your daughter, your husband or your wife, your grandmother or grandfather, no matter who it is, I want to remind you tonight, there is no person our God cannot save. As we close tonight, I want you to notice, lastly, the trusted messengers. Go back with me to Daniel 12, 3. What does that do for you and me? God has given us a promise. They that be wise. Now, it's a wise thing for me to put on my face mask. It's a wise thing for me to wear gloves. It's a wise thing for me to social distance. But I'm going to tell you, God says, he that win his souls is wise. He that win his souls is wise. You're not wise because you were shrewd and accumulated a lot of earthly possessions. You are wise because you are a steward of the resources of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They that be wise. You know who these tribulation saints are? You know anything about, about Jewish people? They're highly successful people. They're very driven. In Israel, there are, there are some major, major, I mean, think of, I think of Albert Einstein. I think of many great businessmen, scientists, politicians, lawyers, etc., etc., who are Jewish by ethnicity. But the Bible says here, he that when his soul is wise, they that be wise. Then he says, secondly, they shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. God wants his light to shine. So you know what? If we're winning souls, the more we're winning souls, the more we're getting out his gospel. You know what? We're just letting the light shine a little bit more. We're letting it shine. We're, we're piercing the darkness in a few more places. We're just shining the light. We're to shine as lights in this world. And he says we're to turn many to righteousness. We're to have a compelling message. And we're to compel people to come in. We're to preach the gospel. We're to persuade through the gospel. We're to populate through the gospel. When I read chapter 7, verse 9, listen, they weren't content with just preaching the gospel. They were populating heaven with souls that are getting saved. They were doing what Hebrews 2, 9 says. They were bringing many sons to glory. The Bible says they will shine as the stars forever and ever. Do you get an idea that in the galaxies, the stars will be always scintillating? Winning souls is an eternal work. Winning souls is a rewarding work. It's a distinguishing work. God says we'll be like the stars forever. Hey, someone in Hollywood, they want to get their name in a star on a piece of concrete. You win souls, you're, you're going to shine as the stars forever and ever. That's a little bit more lasting, amen? The God of the everlasting gospel calls us to be wise and turn many to righteousness. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his 
The rivers are his. The stars are his handiwork too. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Would you take your stand with our Savior tonight? You've been sealed. If you're saved, you've been sealed already. But would you take your stand? Would you be sanctified? Would you be a soul winner? If you've not done so, start texting us at 925-364-5075. The names of people you're burdened to see saved. You'll determine before God tonight that if Jesus is going to come soon, and he is, we're going to do everything we can to win souls to Christ. And tonight, the everlasting gospel is available for you if you've not ever been born again. If you've never have called upon the Lord to save. You know, tonight can be your spiritual birthday. Tonight can be the night that you're born in the wonderful family of God. And I'm going to help you tonight because you're a sinner who needs to be under the blood of Christ, who needs God's forgiveness so he can make you a son of You need to call on the name of the Lord tonight to save you.